Hey, this is Rob Coburn, and we are excited that you're joining with us today. If you're a part of the Summit Dover family, whether in person or online, we'd love to connect with you via social media at the Summit Dover on all social media outlets and on our website, thesummitdover.com. We can get you plugged into our app or our YouTube channel, as well as giving options and opportunities to connect with the Summit Dover family all around the world. I hope this word today encourages you and inspires you. Let's jump into the message. We know that the core scripture for this series has been Ephesians 6, 10 through 13, and and it says, when you've done everything, stand. We are in an hour right now where we are called as the church to stand, to stand in unprecedented times, to stand against uh, enemies of God, and to speak truth, and to simply trust and never doubt. And so this, this series that we're doing is examining people in Scripture, stories that you all know or some of you know, and, and if you don't know, by the end you know them, but we, we are bringing these stories to you and looking at them from a different lens, looking at them from a different direction, and speaking to how they stood when everything looked like it wasn't going to happen. There are some things in your life that God has spoken to you. There are things in your life that God has shown you, and it's been 30 years, and you have stood. And I'm here to tell you that that's what he wants you to do, because his word never returns void, and if he spoke it to you, it will happen. He never begins anything that he hasn't already finished, and he began you, so you're not finished yet. And he is working in you. He's got a word for you. He's speaking to you, and he wants you to stand on what he's told you. There are so many people that we can look through through scripture who stood for a while and then they stopped standing. And that's not what he wants for us. He wants us to stand and stand and stand and stand. Now many of you know, and I'm looking over to this packed section over here of our youth. Many of you know, yeah, we we celebrate them being here. Uh, But many of you know the story of David and Goliath, yeah, we, we associate that story and, and many of you are like, oh no, he's going to preach on what I learned on in second grade. Well, we're going to talk about it, but I want to give you the framework of why that story is so important this morning and maybe look at it from a different lens this morning. So if you turn with me to 1 Samuel, that's in the beginning there, uh, 1 Samuel chapter 17, we see that Goliath and David are, are in this clash, this clash of kingdoms. Now, we've heard about Moses, we've heard about Daniel, we've heard about Esther, we've heard about Rahab, and we've had this time where we examine these together. This morning, we're going to talk about David, but we're going to talk about a couple relationships that led him into a place where he had to stand. So all these relationships are important. How many of you know that the kingdom moves on relationship? Amen? That as we build relationships with people, as we work together, we actually walk out the kingdom of God in our life and we get to see transformation and things happen. So we've learned about all these four characters. Today we're going to talk about Samuel, we're going to talk about Saul, and we're going to talk about David. I believe that we have these great stories in the Old Testament. Now, somebody said to me, like, I, I, I love to hang out in the New Testament. Why do you keep bringing up stories in the Old Testament? Well, Paul has something to say about that. And, uh, and so would you turn with me to 1 Corinthians? You're going to keep a thumb in 1 Samuel. You're going to turn with me to 1 Corinthians. 
And in 1 Corinthians 10, we're going to read what Paul has to say about this to the church in Corinth. Starting in verse 1, it says, Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud, all passed through the sea, all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, all ate the same spiritual food, all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock, capitalized, that followed them, and the rock was Christ. But with most of them, God was not well pleased, for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now these things became our examples. Underline that in your Bible. These things became our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. We're supposed to be learning something from the Old Testament stories. They're examples of how we should conduct ourselves and who God is and his, and his character. And do not become idolaters as were some of them. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Nor let us commit sexual immorality as some of them did, and in one day 23,000 fell. Nor let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted and were destroyed by serpents. Nor complain as some of them also complained and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now all the, verse 11, now all these things happened to them as examples. And they were written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. So what, what he's saying here is all those stories that you learned in Good News Bears and all the other Sunday school classes and all the stories that you know from the Old Testament are there for your example so that you understand how, how, that God is a righteous God, number one, and that when you live a righteous life, you're in alignment with his kingdom and his call for you. And so we have to take those as examples. I love verse 11, or sorry, verse 12, where it says, let him who thinks he stands Take heed lest he fall. We're talking about standing today, but what you're standing on is almost more important than standing at all. And so if you're standing on things that are not in alignment with who God has you to be, then you will fall. So this is saying examine the foundation, make sure that what you're learning is truth, stand on that truth and you won't fall as long as you stand. Now, I love verse 13, and we're, this is going to be a, a core message today. The temptation has overtaken you except such as, no temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man, but God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will always make a way for your escape, that you may be able to bear it. He always has an escape hatch for you. There is an escape hatch for you. These examples in the Old Testament, and we're going to talk about New Testament people too, and yes, but we cannot push off the old and say the Old Testament just doesn't matter. We're just going to focus on the new. Yes, we need to. We've got a better covenant than the Old Covenant, but we need to use these as our example. And so that's what we're going to look at today. God's righteousness doesn't change, correct? We see in the scripture, he's saying, these are righteous things, these are unrighteous things, I'm gonna stand here and hold righteousness as my banner. It doesn't change, it says right up there, Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's not changing, his righteousness doesn't change. And that's why when we, when we bow at the, at the altar of the kingdom of self, truth changes, because we're changeable. But when we are in his kingdom and we live in his kingdom and we are working to build his kingdom and we trust him, his righteousness, 
His righteousness doesn't waver at all. Now, if we're standing and our foundation is shaky or some things that we brought in today don't match up with what God has for us, it's okay because he gives us a way to build it. He gives us a way, he gives us a word to build that foundation, to sure it up where it needs to be sured up. I remember I was, years ago, I was in Galveston, Texas, and they had some hurricane stuff, you know, and they had some nastiness years ago. And, uh, and now there's this huge wall on the Gulf. I mean, huge. It's, it, I don't know how high it is, but it's a huge concrete wall that says, no more will anything tear away this foundation. No war. And, and no more will tear away this foundation. No other storm, no matter how big it is, is going to come over that wall and, and just tear up this city. We're going we're gonna to keep this in place. God wants to use his word to help you to solidify your foundation so that when the winds of a storm come, you can stand on a word. It has to be built on truth. It has to be built on righteousness. And it has to be built on humility. And that's who God really is. So throughout the life, throughout David's life, I believe that there's been lots of mistakes. You can go through David's life and point out mistakes. And, and I don't like to do that because then that shines a light on me. Because God, God has lots of things he can look at my life. And you can look at my life and say, man, he really messed up. But I like to look at what David did with those mistakes. And how he overcame them with God's help to see restoration in his life. And if our foundation is on truth and righteousness and humility, we can overlook a lot of nastiness and see God coming through and pushing through. But when you consider David, I want you to consider this word. And to some, if you're looking at the negative in David's life, this word is going to seem really weird. But if you look at his life as a whole, I believe that David is the picture of loyalty. Now, you may say, well, he did this and he did that and, and all the different things that happened. He wasn't loyal to this person. He wasn't. But overall, I would say he's a picture of loyalty. He was loyal to Saul who was trying to kill him. He was loyal. He could have done something about that and he didn't. He was loyal to everybody on his level. When his friends were wanting to take him out, he was loyal. And he was loyal to those underneath him. And so I believe that if you examine the life of David, you're going to find that there's loyalty. And now, like I said, we all make mistakes and there's some times where he wasn't loyal. But we're going to stand on his loyalty. There are characters in the scripture that you resonate with. If you know the Bible, if you get in the word, it is one of the foundational camps of our journey to the summit that we're in the word every single day as you read the word no matter where you're at if you're reading along in our in our devotion journal that you have if you don't have one we'll get you one but if you're reading through there you're coming across characters that somewhere inside of your spirit the lord trips you up and says wow you need to pay a little more attention to that person well, through my whole life, David has been one of those guys. Every time I read scripture about David, there's something in me that starts to stir and I start to resonate with some of the things that he's dealing with. I start to resonate with how he wrestles with the Lord. I start to resonate with all of those things. So today we're gonna cover this relationship between Samuel, Saul, and David. Now, we know we're gonna end with 1 Samuel 17. We're gonna end with Goliath. Right? It's the big culmination to the first part of his life. But I want to give you the background this morning and look at it from a different perspective. So let's turn to 1 Samuel verse, sorry, chapter 13. 
in the beginning of that, verse 1, it says, Saul reigned over one year, and when he had reigned two years over Israel, Saul chose for himself 3,000 men. So I'm going to skip through this because I don't want to read 100 verses, but if you look at the tabs on my Bible, it's going to be like uh, we're going to do sword drill and you're just going to keep turning. So make sure you get with me. We're going to bounce around scripture to scripture, but uh, stay with me here. So he's, he's serving for one year as the king. He's serving for two years of the king, and now the Philistines are a little upset. And they want to they do some damage. And so he, he gathers together an army and the Lord says through Samuel that Samuel is going to come and Samuel is going to make an offering and bless the army before they go out to battle. Yes, yes, that's what's, that's what's happening in the scripture. Clearly, this has to happen before they go to battle. This is what the Lord spoke, okay? And what happens here, it says in verse eight, then he waited seven days. So Samuel said, I'll be there. Okay, seven days according to the time that it was set by Samuel. I'll be there in seven days, Samuel said. I'll be there in seven days to do this sacrifice and get all this stuff organized for you. But Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and the people were scattered from him. So Saul said, bring a burnt offering and peace offerings to me, and he offered the offerings. God said, Samuel is going to come and he's going to offer things before you go to battle. In other words, Samuel is the priest. Samuel is gonna stand in his office and do what I've called him and commissioned and anointed him to do. And Saul, you're gonna be the king. And when he does his part, you can go do your part. And you'll be in alignment with my will. And Saul says, you know what? It's been seven days. He's not here. I'm at the kingdom of me. And he says, I'm going to take the sacrifice. I'm going to make the sacrifice. I'm going to do it all myself, and then we're going off to battle. There is something for each of you to learn this morning that when God is just a little bit off your time frame, it's not time for you to step into the kingdom of me. Because we're going to read about what happens to, to this man named Saul, this king, because he did that. So... Now it happened as soon as he had finished presenting the burnt offering that Samuel showed up. Isn't that just the way of God? When you take it into your own hands, he opens the door for you. Right? So the moral of the story is wait on him. If he tells you something, you better just stand. Just stand. Don't step forward. Don't do something that he's got someone else to do. Verse 11, and Samuel said, what have you done? Saul said, when I, was, when I saw that the people were scattered from me and that you did not come within the days appointed, the days, okay, don't you love how he just takes this and turns it on Samuel? The people were angry. You didn't come. So I was forced to do this. That's his attitude. Man, definitely not the humble attitude that we're talking about. When I saw that the people were scattered from me and that you did not come within the days that you had said, days appointed, that the Philistines gathered together at Michmash. Then I said, the Philistines will now come down to me at Gilgal and I have not made supplication to the Lord. I'm glad that that was a priority for him. He just stepped out of alignment. Therefore, I felt compelled and offered the burnt offering. I felt compelled. I, that I there is underlined, highlighted, and circled. I felt compelled. 
But the Lord compels us to do what he wants us to do. And when we decide that we're compelled, it's probably wrong. Amen? It's probably wrong. Verse 13, And Samuel said to Saul, You have done foolishly. You have not kept the commandment of the Lord your God, which he commanded you. For now... The Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. This is God's A plan. Number one, he didn't want them to have a king, but they complained and complained and complained and complained. And then God said, okay, if you want a king like all the other nations, I'll give you a king. And then he chose Saul. And in 1 Samuel 10, one of my favorite verses, Samuel goes to anoint Saul and they can't find him. And it says that he is hiding in his baggage. There's many times when we hide in our baggage when God wants to anoint us to a new season, but we're okay feeling safe inside of our own junk that we don't allow him to actually anoint us to what we're called to do. But in this case, we know that the Lord chose Saul and he said, this, I, at this point, you were anointed and your kingdom would go on forever. But you have left my kingdom and my will, and with that, this is what happens, verse 14. But now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought for himself a man after his own heart. And the Lord has commanded him to be the commander of his people because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. Wow, that's strong. Your potential, Saul, was that your kingdom would see no end. But because you stepped out and tried to do this deal on your own, your kingdom is over as of now. For I have called, he said, for God has called and sought after himself a man after his own heart. We know that that is David. Interesting. We know that. We know that. Everybody knows that David was a man after God's own heart. And it says it right here. But here is the most interesting part of this. You've got to know the timeline. So Saul was, was the king for 40 years. Two years into his kingdom and his reign, he had this debacle. Two years into his 40 years, he loses his kingdom. Two years into 40 years, there's a word that says there's a man coming after my own heart. Now, when David was 30 years old, he took over the kingdom. There's eight years missing in there. That means that this word about David, we know it's David because the same words after his own heart, right? The same word spoken in this moment was eight years before David was even born. The destiny that God has over your life was put there before the foundation of the world, before you were considered in your mom's womb, he had spoken over you. And David didn't even know it. He didn't know it. And so he's born and he goes into this loyal life. Now I want to talk about loyalty for one second. Loyal life means he was the tender of the sheep. And he was taking care of his dad's sheep. And we know from chapter 17 that he took on a bear, right? We know that he took it on. And now I, I personally don't know if I was getting paid, you know, 10 bucks an hour to watch some sheep, if I would really go after the one. 
Because my loyalty would probably be more to my paycheck than to my dad. But he was loyal to his dad and went after the lion and the bear and saved the sheep. There is something to be said for hirelings that won't stand in the test of time. There has to be an anointing and a call because there's a tough battle that comes. And if you're not in alignment with what God has called you to do, if you're not standing in your anointed place, if you think it's about yourself, you will run in those situations. Hirelings don't make it in tough situations. And so we see that Saul is, this, this is stripped off of Saul. Now, can you imagine being a king for 38 years without the anointing to be king? That's got to be some tough deal. And I think if you read chapters 14, 15, and 16, you'll see that Saul had a rough time. Saul had a rough time. And so throughout this, throughout this lesson, let's go to chapter 16 here for a second. Verse 1. Now the Lord said to Samuel, so go back, sorry, I'm going to just have to recap this. Because once Saul falls, Samuel has a pity party. And it goes on for a couple chapters here where he's just sort of bummed, right? Saul's rejected as the king, things are going bad, all this stuff. Now, sometimes God has to take you out of that mentality and pull you up short. And that's what happens in 16 verse one. It says, now the Lord said to Samuel, how long will you mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? Samuel was a good dude. And God had to pull him up and say, listen, stop your moaning over this man who I have removed the anointing from. Stop. You need to step into what I've called you to do and not worry about all this other stuff. Sometimes we can get attached to people more than we can get attached to our call and be derailed in what God has called us to do. Not saying that relationships aren't the focus because that's how the kingdom moves. But sometimes we can be so entrenched with people who fall that we start to fall too because we're distracted by their falling. He says this, fill your horn with oil and go. I am sending you to Jesse the Bethlehemite for I have provided myself a king among his sons. Now, to fill the horn with oil, it was, a, it was an animal horn and they would cap the ends and then they would fill it with oil and that's what they would use to anoint people. Well, we are called to be full of oil and anointing and the way that we do it is in worship to the Lord. And so I just have to think that he started worshiping the Lord and getting his mind in the right place. Sometimes our oil is dried out and we come in and do our deal the same way that we always do. And God's saying, listen, take your focus off of all that. Focus on me and I'll refill your oil. And Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. Can you imagine this? Samuel now is commissioned to go and anoint a king while there is a king. Wow, this is some great stuff. You gotta read the book. You gotta read the book. This is, I, I, this is so good. I could read every verse and let's do a sermon every week on the verse. It, he, he goes and he's called to go anoint a king while there's a king. Whew. You better have some oil. But the Lord said, uh, we'll skip through some of that. Um, and then invite Jesse to the sacrifice. They're going to have this deal. 
So Jesse is supposed to come to the sacrifice so that one of his sons is gonna be the next king. He knows that. Isn't that interesting? But there's one thing that happens that is very, 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 very disturbing. And that is that when Jesse comes to the party, he brings all of his sons except the one, except David. The most least likely to actually be a king. He was a pretty boy. And uh, he loved hanging out, out with the sheep. And, you know, have you ever been in a situation where people look at you in a, in a negative way because of your birth order? Have you ever been in a negative situation because of your skill set? People look at you weird because of your skill set. People don't give you the credit. People don't give you what you deserve because you don't look or sound or, or act exactly like they think you should. Well, God takes all that away. He looks directly at your heart. He's got the scanning machine open. He does a scan of your heart and he says, wow, this person needs a little, needs a little polishing. But you know what? Their heart is good. And if their heart is good, then we're gonna be able to go somewhere we're going to be able to do something. He doesn't look on the outward appearance as we do. We see Jesse. This scripture that talks about looking on the outward appearance that God looks on the heart, this is a great example. Jesse was considering the outward appearance, the activities of his son, all of that stuff, and then he was saying, well, I'm going to look at the heart, guys, right? So he goes through and he looks at all of the, the sons and he says, is this it? Because he ain't here. And then they go and they get David. Now I want you to think about the 30 minutes between going through all the other sons waiting on David to come from the field all nasty and stand there to get anointed. What was that conversation like? You mean you didn't even bring David to the deal? I told you one of your sons was going to be the king. Yeah, but I didn't think that he was right for this. So I didn't bring him. But I'm glad that he's coming now. Sometimes I believe the Lord delays just a little bit so that you can see how crazy you really are. <laughs> Don't you think if God was going to ask you to, that he said, one of your sons is going to be the deal. Don't you think that you would, you would be like, I want all my sons at the party? Yeah, but that wasn't Jesse. He was looking on the outward, not the heart. And David had a heart after God. Verse 13 of chapter 16. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel arose and went to Ramah. To Ramah. Think about this. Think about this. We got to take the scripture and not just read over it. And we need to think. He's anointed in the midst of all of his family. The, the commentaries and scripture and historical account would say he's 15 years old at this time when he's anointed. Saul is king, so Saul has 15 more years of being king and now you're anointed king. That's a lot. That's a lot. Uh, now, you have been anointed king at 15 years old. You don't know when you're gonna be the king. And, I love this part, they just sort of, and Samuel arose and went away. He did his job. He, he came and anointed you. Now he's checking off to go do something else. And you're now anointed king. What am I going to do now? Oh, I better go back out to the field. 
There are some of you that have been anointed to do something and you have waited in the midst of all the family for a long, long, long time and never went back to the field and never worked out. He would never would have been able to conquer what we're gonna talk about in chapter 17 if he didn't go back to the field filled with the Holy Spirit. Sometimes after your anointing, it takes a little bit of time to get things processed in your life till you're ready to go and do what he's called you to do. You may feel like you're ready to do it on day one. But the problem becomes, and, and I believe that this is worshiping at the altar of self, when we actually just get anointed and then we sit down in the family lounger chair and say, Lord, I'm ready. And he wants to go, he wants you to go out into the field and he's got this, this crucible that you're gonna go through that will shape you into who he wants you to be so that you can be the king. And oftentimes, we know that, that that part out there is a little ugly, and it's a little dirty, and all that stuff, and I don't know that I want to go through that. I want to be pristine whenever I come into ministry. Yeah, that's not what God wants. He wants you to go get tested and tried and find out if your heart was really the right deal. And so, what happens after this? So, so David goes out into the field, and we're going through five chapters. I'm just giving my recap of them. He goes out into the field. He does what he's called to do. He's loyal to his dad, even though he's anointed to be king. There is a spiritual mantle on him. And he's out watching sheep. Saul, who the anointing has been removed from, let's clarify that, the anointing has been removed. He starts to go into depression. He starts to go just crazy. If they had mental institutions at this point, he would have been committed. He would have. He went crazy. And what happened? They were looking around for someone who could play the harp to bring calm to him. And what do you know? David knows how to play the harp. And in verse 21 of chapter 16, it says, So David came to Saul and stood before him, and he loved him greatly, and he became his armor bearer. Now, pause for a second. We're going to be David for a second here. David is anointed to be king. And he goes in and serves the king. He humbles himself and serves the king, even though he is walking in his anointing and he becomes his armor bearer as part of the crucible. We must die to self to live for him. I can't, uh, reading these, I, I try to put myself in that situation. I don't know. I can't answer it, but you need to look into it too. So he was 15 years of being anointed before he actually became the king. So let's go back. Saul loses his anointing. And David, before he, eight years before he's born, this word is spoken out that God has called him to come. I want to take you to some other verses. Galatians 1.15, Paul says this, But when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace to reveal his son in me, that I may preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately confer with the flesh and blood. And it goes on there. But Paul had the same experience. He was called before he was born. 
Jeremiah says this in Jeremiah 1, 4, and 5. Then the word of the Lord came to me saying, Before I formed you in your mother's womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. Man, these people that we look to in Scripture, their, their destiny was set before they ever touched the planet Earth, and yours is too. Yours is set. It's ready to go. God has called you to some great things. Now, do you think that David ever understood that fact that it happened prior to? Maybe I didn't get it the first couple times I read it, but he does get it. Because if you turn to Psalm 139, it says this, verse 13, For you formed my inward parts, you covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret. David came to the understanding as he walked out his destiny that that destiny was there before he was ever thought of. As you begin to walk out the destiny that God has for you, you will begin to understand the things that were alignment before you ever hit the planet. And you'll be encouraged in that walk. You'll be encouraged in that walk. The Lord must reveal to each of us in our walk toward our destiny a revelation of who he said we were before we were ever born. When you are struggling with identity, it's because you don't know what was said before you were on the planet. There's this whole identity crisis in the world. By the way, when it says woman, that means a wombed man. That means that you can't be a woman without a womb. Sorry, just got to say that. But, but there's this whole identity thing going on in the country, in the world. There's this whole identity push. And it's because we don't know. There's millions and millions and maybe billions of people that don't know that before they were ever born, their destiny was set. Their destiny was set. If you knew that your destiny was set, you wouldn't be struggling with all these things. If you knew who set your destiny, you wouldn't be struggling with all these things. By the way, the womb thing was from Genesis. Called a man and wool man, which means a wombed man, which means that you have a womb. Seems black and white to me, but I'm an eight on the Enneagram and everything's black and white to me, but okay. So your destiny was set in place before the foundation of the world, but your anointing comes when you're on the earth ready to walk something out. Your anointing does not come until your heart is in alignment with who he's called you to be. I'm going to say that one more time. Your anointing doesn't come until your heart is in alignment with who he wants you to be. David was 15 when his heart came into alignment and he was anointed to be king. There was some work that had to be done. Man, if I had to make choices like that again, I would change a lot of things that happened before I was 15. <laughs> but he wanted his heart to be in alignment with what God had spoken over him. It takes time. Sometimes it takes a lot of time but between the time you're anointed and the time you actually step into your office. Think about it. Moses, 40 years. 40 years from the time that he started doing what God said to do and then another 40 years in the wilderness. It's a lot. David was 15 years from his anointing until he first actually stepped into his office. 
David was so insignificant to those around him that his dad missed him. But he wasn't insignificant to the creator of the universe. The creator of the universe knew him before he ever was. He knows you. He knows how you're gonna fail. He knows how you're going to succeed. And he's okay with all of it. I, I, want, to, I want to go back to a point that I made real quick. That Saul was, David, Saul was God's first choice. He was plan A. David was plan B. What could plan A have been if plan B was so good? But there's some people that rule themselves out because the divorce was plan A. Now we're on to plan B and it's not going to be as good. At least that's what the enemy would tell you. But plan B can be better than plan A because it takes your heart and it says, hey, I know that I've made mistakes. I'm humble now. And plan B is going to be greater than plan A because you know what? I'm a different person. But if you begin to rule yourself out as the plan B, then you're never going to see the destiny that God has for you. See, he can take those things and he can make them into what he wants to have happen on the planet. David went back after his anointing to keeping sheep. He went back into the trenches. He went back to do what he was, he was called to do in that moment. And he went back to it and he didn't question. He didn't question. We have to get to the point where when we're anointed to another season, that we're okay to go back to what we've been doing until the time is right. Because when we step out of alignment and begin to try to build the next season of our life, we will lose our anointing. We'll lose our anointing. So Saul's tormented, David has the harp, David's doing the deal right, and the result of the Spirit of the Lord upon David brought peace to Saul, and he gets promoted. When you're walking in alignment with what God has for you, the world will notice. And you'll probably just get promoted. God has a way of putting you right in the place where he needs you to be so that you become successful and can accomplish his plan that he has for you. So let's go to where we started, 1 Samuel chapter 17. You okay with the background on this? We, we build a little background for you. You're called before you're born. You sometimes have to walk it out. So we're gonna go to 17, which is what I know you all, everybody loves this story. Now the Philistines had gathered their armies to battle and were gathered and this is the place where David starts to exercise some things. I don't want, I don't, as, I, as we go through this, you've got to understand, this is putting flesh on the bones of your anointing. You've got it, you've got to catch it. The Philistines stood on a mountain on one side and Israel stood on the mountain on the other. Verse three, uh, the champion went out, right, of the Philistines named Goliath. Now, it says six cubits and a span. You know, I'm inches and feet kind of people here in the U.S. Um, so it is stated, there's many different takes on this, uh, that he was either nine foot six, and I've heard all the way up to 13 feet tall. 
So he was pretty, pretty big dude. And he was pretty imposing with his voice. And he was saying crazy things. But he had a bronze armor on his legs and bronze javelin be between his shoulders. Now the staff of his spear was like a weaver's beam and his iron spearhead had weighted 600 shekels. And the shield bearer went before him. He even had to have somebody carry his shield. It was so big. He was like, yeah, you go do that. Okay. Then he stood and cried to the armies of Israel and said, why have you come out to line up for battle? I love this because the enemy speaks this to you every single day you wake up. Why did you wake up again this morning? Why are you doing this again this morning? I thought I dealt defeat to you yesterday. Some people pull the covers back over and go back to bed. And they don't do it. Am I not a Philistine? Yes, you are. We'll find out what that means. And you, and you the servants of Saul, choose a man. Just, I got to stop. And aren't you the servants of Saul? Well, if they were really living in what God told them to do, they would say, no, we're not servants of Saul. Are you kidding me? No, we've got another leader who's a little different than Saul. But they didn't, and sometimes we don't, so we won't condemn them for that. Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, I like how David skipped the fight with me part and just killed him. <laughs> if he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. That's probably why they ran, because they didn't do, David just skipped over the fight with me part and just killed him, and then they said, you didn't hold up your end of the bargain, we're out. <laughs> But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistine said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. So Goliath is taunting them. The enemy will taunt you if you give him space in your ear. If you give him space, he'll do it. If you don't give him space, it's just this murmur out there. <laughs> And the Philistine said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man whom we might fight together. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Now David was the son of the Ephraimite of Bethlehem, Judah, whose name was Jesse, and who had eight sons. And the man was old and advanced in years in the days of Saul. Okay, so he's the youngest. Dad's getting older. Dad's got some care for his sons left. Even though I missed you before, I'm, I'm speaking to you now, David. The three oldest sons of Jesse had gone with, uh, to follow Saul into battle. The names of his three sons that went to battle were Eliab, the firstborn. Next him, Abinadab, and then Shema. David was the youngest, and the three oldest followed Saul. But David occasionally went and returned from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. And the Philistine drew near and presented himself 40 days, morning and evening. He's not going to stop yelling at you. He's not going to tr stop trying to stop you from your destiny. He's going to continue and continue and continue until you deal a blow to him. Then Jesse said to his son David, Take now for your brothers an ephah of this dried grain and these ten loaves and run to your brothers in the camp and carry these ten cheeses to the captain of, the thousand, of their thousand and see how your brothers fare and bring back news of them. Now Saul, they didn't have texting back then. <laughs> like, 
Yeah, we, we don't have instant message. You're like, oh, they're good, Dad. We're, we're all set. So he had to go back, okay? Now Saul and they, all the men of Israel, were in the valley of Elah fighting with the Philistines. So David rose early in the morning, left the sheep with the keeper, and took the things and went as Jesse had commanded him. His dad said, do something, he did it. Man, that's just like respect. It's like respect. We gotta have some of that anymore. And he came to the camp as the army was going out to fight and shouting for the battle. For Israel and the Philistines had drawn up in battle array, army against army, and David left his supplies in the hand of the supply keeper and ran to the army and came and greeted his brothers. I wanna hold this to you uh, before you. In 1 Samuel 10, 22, they go to anoint Saul. He was hiding in his bags. David gets to the battlefront. He doesn't even give the food to the people he's supposed to. He sees somebody who will carry his junk. He hands it off and goes to do what God's called him to do. There is something significant about stepping out of your junk and leaving it for another day. Because the more you hold, the less you can fight. And David left his supplies in the hands of the supply keeper, ran to the army, and came and greeted his brothers. Then as he talked with them, there was a champion, the Philistine of Gath, uh, Goliath, by name, coming up from the armies of the Philistines, and he spoke according to the same words. So David heard them. The enemy will never hide his agenda. He'll just speak it out. So if we do actually give him an ear, we have a game plan. And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were dreadfully afraid. Okay? So the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man who's come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel. And it shall be that the man who kills him, the king will enrich with great riches, will give him his daughter, and give the father's house exemptions from taxes in Israel. Then David, verse 26, this is the, the kicker. Then David spoke to the men who stood by him, saying, what shall be done with a man who kills the Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? Highlight this part. For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Now, how many of you have read that? You realize that David is speaking from the spirit of God that is on him from his anointing. He is spiritually the king in this moment, even though he's 15, 17, whatever at this point. He is speaking truth about a covenant that the rest of the army is wearing on their skin. He is speaking about circumcision that confirms a covenant that was given to the people of Israel, the Jews. They were all Jews in the camp. They were running and hiding, although they were wearing the covenant that God had given them. And this, this boy from the field comes out and he says, listen, what is this uncircumcised, this guy without a covenant, speaking to us at all? He doesn't even have a place to speak to us because God said that and no man will stand before you that you can't defeat. So the man standing in his anointing, even though he didn't have the position, was speaking truth that the rest of the army didn't even understand. My encouragement to you is, when you're anointed to do something, go stand anyway, even if you don't have a position. Because out of that, you will see the hand of God move and see reconciliation in whatever you're looking at. But see, we don't think about the timeline. 
He's anointed to be king before this happens. He's essentially the spiritual king and he brings them back to the covenant in which a spiritual king would do. But then there's more time in which he serves. More time, more time. And then he becomes the king. How many times do we, standing in our anointing, walking in what God has called us to do, stop through the process because we don't have a position? Your anointing and your gift will make room for you if you're willing to embrace it and not apologize for it. But most of us apologize for it because there's religious structure in place. So David, the anointed king, refers them to the covenant in which God had made with his people so that they would actually rise up and do something. I don't think at this point he was like, I'm going to go do that. He said, for who, sorry, he says, what shall be done for the man who does this? He's saying, there's somebody here who can go do this. There's somebody here who can go do this. If you just stand in your covenant with God, you can overcome anything. They were all hiding in their tents. And the people answered him in this manner. So it shall be done for the man who kills him. Now Eliab, his older brother. His oldest brother heard when he spoke to the men and Eliab's anger was aroused against David. And he said, why did you come down here? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? And I know your pride and your in insolence of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. That's pretty strong. Not knowing a person's motivation and opening your mouth can get you in deep trouble. Because David was functioning under the gifts of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was on him. He was doing what God had asked him to do. And his older brother, now I want to say this to you in the kindest of ways. But most of the time when you stand in your anointing and you begin to walk out your calling, it's the people that aren't doing what they're supposed to be doing that start to chirp at you. When you actually rise up and do what God's called you to do, it's the lazy ones that are going to say, oh, you shouldn't be doing that. You don't have the position yet. Those religious spirits just need to be cut off, cast away. So his older brother says, listen, you're just a punk. You just, you don't get it. We're here to fight a battle, and this guy's really bad, and you just don't get it. You're here with a wrong heart, my friend. Go back with the sheep. Don't ever be in that position. Don't ever speak against somebody's anointing. Respect the anointing, even if there's no position, and just roll with it. You'll be much better off in the long run. Because when David actually slays Goliath, the army rejoices. They rejoice because David did it, but they rejoice because they know they're saved now and they're not going to be slaves. But I can guarantee in his heart, Eliab's heart, he was like, man, I missed it. Can't take those words back. It's the old toothpaste thing that we tell our kids, right? Once it's out, it ain't going back in. He condemned his brother for his brother's actions without understanding his brother's anointing and call. May we never, never do that. But may we stand in what he's called us to do. 
May we stand in what he's called us to do. Now, we could go further in the story, but we're gonna leave that for another day. But I wanted to give you the background of this. I wanted to look at this from a different perspective because God has a call upon each of your lives. It was given to you before the foundation of the world. It was written in a book. It says in Psalm 139. Psalm 139, I'm gonna read it again. And as I do, if the musicians would come, you can turn the lights down. If everybody would stand, that would be awesome. Some of you don't believe this scripture. Some of you have never understood this scripture. And today is a day for transformation in your life. There's one thing I know about David. When he was, when he was in turmoil, he went to worship. When he was in turmoil, he went to the harp and he started using the gift that God had given him to encounter the presence of God. There's some people today, I believe, that God wants you to rest in his presence, to refill your oil, because he's called you to some great things. Psalm 139, verse 13 says, For you form my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. You're protected. You're here for a purpose. You have a destiny. I will praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works and that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed. He knows you. He knows you. You may not feel like anybody on the earth knows you. No one understands you. Your parents don't understand you. Your kids don't understand you. Your grandkids sure don't understand you. But he knows you. He knows your substance. And he's okay with your brokenness. He doesn't care if you're on plan Z. He's okay. He loves you. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed, and in your book they were all written. The days fashioned for me, when as yet there were none of them. The book of life that God has written over you is something you need to be accustomed to. I'm sure that David, when he was out in the field, he was worshiping the Lord. He was engaged with this and he, he was discovering with God in the secret place what this walk looked like, what the pages of this book might be. And the one thing that I know that he came to was that he knew that God was good every time, every time. And what was Goliath screaming? God isn't good. He was screaming that their covenant wasn't going to happen. And the people believed it. It's time to silence the voices and speak to the storm and stand on a covenant that God has made with his people. So, my prayer for you today is that the book that God has written for your life, you begin to read it that you begin to engage in that process. That when you don't know what the next turn is, Samuel was standing there and saying, I am so distraught. Saul 
messed this whole thing up. And God said, listen, fill your horn with oil. So I just want to worship for a minute. I want you to lay down those things that have stopped you from standing in the covenant with God. Lay them down this morning. Pick up that covenant. Hold it dear. Begin to read the book, the book, the Constitution for your life, and the book that he's written for you. Because many of you have not achieved your destiny because you stopped in the process because there was no position. Ooh, receive that. That went right through the room. You've stopped working in your anointing because you haven't seen the opportunity for a position. And it's not about a position. It's about a heart posture. Well, Father, today is they sing one verse of something. Lord, I ask that you would invade this place, that you would convict hearts, that you would move on people. Lord, that if there's anyone here that this has all gone over their head, they've heard a story about, about David and Saul, but they don't know what this means. It means you are the God of salvation. You are the God of deliverance from every trial, and you're good. You're a man of your word, and we thank you for that. We praise you, Lord. We thank you, Lord. Come have your way in this place. In Jesus' name. Pour it out. I want more, I want more, I want more, Lord. So pour it out. I want more, 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 Lord. more of his anointing do you want more of who he is maybe you haven't had any maybe you should be saying I want some I want the first part of it and when your heart cries out and says Lord I want some of you I don't know who you are but I want you to transform who I am and you're willing to say that he comes in and radically changes he takes the iniquity away but as we sing this, I want you to sing it as if you really mean that you want more of him because he's willing to give you everything that he is. He proved it to us. He proved it to us on the cross, doing it in joy because you would receive it today. up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all stand father we thank you for your presence in this place we thank you that you want to be with us Lord we thank you that when we make you a priority you're always there 
Lord, I ask that the anointing that is upon every person here, that they would begin to stand and not apologize for what you've called them to do in this hour. Lord, may we not make this about our own choices or our own self and walk away from the anointing, but Lord, that we would stand in your presence. We worship you. We thank you. We want more every single day. Pour out more. Louder than the enemy cries, may we feel your rumble inside of our hearts. That we would know you more every single day. We thank you, Lord. We thank you for truth. We thank you for humility. And we thank you for your righteousness that makes us whole. That we can stand in the storm and declare your covenant truth with us. We give this to you in Jesus' name. Amen. If you enjoyed today's message, I would like to encourage you to like it and share it on all social media platforms or jump on the website, thesummitdover.com or the app and click the giving link and help us continue to share the message of the kingdom across the world. God bless you and have an awesome week.